Dear congregation, as we gather for worship this evening, our Lord calls us to worship from Psalm 111, the first three verses. Praise ye the Lord. I will praise the Lord with my whole heart in the assembly of the upright and in the congregation. The works of the Lord are great, sought out of all them that have pleasure therein. His work is honorable and glorious, and his righteousness endures forever. Please turn with me in the scriptures again to the book of Hosea, the prophecy of Hosea chapter 14, the last chapter. Let's hear the word of our God. O Israel, return unto the Lord thy God, for thou hast fallen by thine iniquity. Take with you words, and turn to the Lord. Say unto him, Take away all iniquity, and receive us graciously. And so will we render the calves of our lips. Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. For in thee the fatherless find mercy. I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. And he shall grow as the lily. And cast forth his roots as Lebanon. His branches shall spread. And his beauty shall be as the olive tree. And his smell as Lebanon. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. And the scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. Ephraim shall say, What have I to do any more with idols? I have heard him and observed him. I am like a green fir tree from me. Is thy fruit found? Who is wise, and he shall understand these things? Prudent, and he shall know them? For the ways of the Lord are right, and the just shall walk in them, but the transgressors shall fall therein. So far the reading of God's holy word. Dear church family, this morning we had the privilege of gathering around the Lord's table to remember his His suffering and death by eating simple means, the simple means of bread and drinking wine, reflecting on what he has done for his people. A time of sweet communion, a fellowship with our Lord and Savior. And yet now, each one of us is called to, was called to leave the table, to go home. And this week we're called to enter into our, our weeks of, whether it's into the workplace, into the home, into the busyness of, of daily life. Back into the fray, as it were called to wield the spiritual armor that the Savior, our Savior, has equipped us with, called to go out into a world that hates God by nature, a world that is anti-God, anti-Christ, anti-Christian, opposed to the gospel, and we're called to live faithfully. And maybe this seems tremendously challenging. How do we go forward after being brought in to commune with our Savior, to enjoy a a moment of peace and rest, to be fed by Him as we're poured out of showers upon us? Maybe maybe for you, you're, you're looking up against going back into the, the humdrum of daily life. 
Maybe it's people at work that you need to work alongside. Maybe it's your own spiritual, your own self, your own heart. Maybe it's Satan's temptation. Maybe he already has been bombarding you, stirring up, as it were, the, the, the dust of past sins to cloud the mind. Maybe raising questions about the times you've failed to serve and love the Lord like you desire. Maybe, maybe reminding you of that besetting sin that you struggle with so much. Maybe one you thought you had put to death, but yet at times and time again it raises its ugly head. Dear believer, however you came to the table this morning, and however your time was in partaking of the Lord's Supper, Remember that it's the Lord, the one who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. It's him who promises to continue to care for you daily. He promises to care for his weak, frail, and often failing people. And so as he sends us back out into our daily tasks tomorrow to pick up the spiritual warfare, As a people of God, we can be assured that as God's restored people, we will continue to experience his healing, his loving hand in in our lives. Even when when we fail, when we are unfaithful. And why, you may ask, well, it's because he continues to provide daily do-like provisions that come from his hand, that come to his people so that they will grow, continue to grow, but also be further established in, in their walk with the Lord. In order that, we would be attractive to those around us and that we would bear fruit for his glory. And this is what we hope to consider tonight from Hosea chapter 14, particularly looking at verses 4 to 8. And at this time I want to read the verse 4 and the first part of verse 5. I will, the Lord says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. I will be as the dew unto Israel. Our theme this evening is do-like provisions for the Lord's restored people. Do-like provisions that are rooted in the Lord's I wills. And do-like provisions that are realized in the Lord's blessings. As we come to our passage from Hosea chapter 14, we are immediately confronted in verse 3 with this reality that there is no salvation outside of or apart from the Lord. Verse 3, Hosea writes, Asher shall not save us. We will not ride upon horses. Neither will we say any more to the work of our hands. Ye are our gods. This morning as we, as we celebrated the Lord's Supper, there was a distinction made this morning among the confessing members of the flock. There were those who said, I cannot live apart from Jesus Christ, and he is mine all, and came and remembered his suffering and death. But there were some who failed to come. And by not coming, you said you did not know this Christ, that was being presented to us in the bread and wine. Confessing that you are still resting in the works of your own hands, that you're still trying to find salvation outside of Christ, in, in an asher, or in yourself, or in another, or in your own works. 
But in the process, saying, Christ's suffering and death is not enough for you. And yet, despite your continued refusal to bend the knee, our Lord comes with these amazing words. Take with you words. Take with you words and turn to the Lord and say unto him. It's it's like, if you don't know what to say, here's what you should say. Take away all iniquity and receive us graciously. He calls you to come to him saying, Lord, take away mine iniquity and receive me graciously. So that we too will render the calves of our lips. The Lord comes to us in his mercy again with his call to come to him. To find mercy in him. But the Lord tonight particularly I want to focus on the people of God. And as you head out into the new the week that lies before you encouraging you he comes to us because he knows his beloved people he knows you intimately he understands your heart he understands where you're at he understands how maybe even this afternoon went already the struggle he understands how prone we are to wander He understands how soon we are to be overwhelmed with doubts or temptations. He understands how soon we are to forget the Lord our God. Yes, to our shame, we are fickle, but he is ever faithful. He remains true. And we read of this faithfulness, of his faithfulness to an unfaithful people in in verse in verses four to five, listen to what the Lord will do and will and will be for his people. With these three I wills, I will heal their backsliding, I will love them freely, I will be as due unto Israel. In these I wills the Lord commits to himself to be the God of his people. It's an everlasting commitment. He will not forsake them. As we heard this morning. And why, you may ask, well, we read that at the end of verse 4. Why he will do this? For mine anger, mine anger is turned away from him, from my people. The Lord's anger and his wrath has been turned away. And he will commit to keeping and loving and caring for his beloved people. And we remember this morning, his wrath, his anger was turned away because Christ suffered and died. He had his body broken as the wrath of the Almighty God was poured upon him. He was forsaken so that we might never be forsaken. Even when we do find ourselves forsaking him again. And so because of what Jesus has done for his beloved people and turning his Father's anger from us, the Lord commits to his restored people, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. And I will be as the dew unto Israel. I will heal their backsliding, or their turning away, or their unfaithfulness. You believer, isn't there times in your life you look back how unfaithful you have been to the Lord? As we walk in this veil of tears, as we deal with the weaknesses of our flesh, as we deal with the besetting sins that so easily beset us, we need the Lord's healing hand to heal us of our, of our turning away, of our unfaithfulness. Don't we with the Apostle Paul struggle and say with him, 
the good that I would, I, I don't find myself doing, and the evil that I don't, that I, that I don't want to do, it's so present with me. The Lord comes to us and says, I will heal their backsliding. This word for heal is used in various contexts. One of those is found in Luke or Leviticus 14. And it's in the context of leprosy. It talks about one who was made whole or healed of their leprosy. And we know that leprosy throughout the scriptures is, is a picture of sin that pervades our entire being. It makes us completely unclean. And being healed from leprosy is a picture of that gracious and powerful forgiveness that God bestows upon sinners. Heals us, forgives us of our sins. And isn't this what John talks about and re- refers us to in 1 John 1, nine when he says, If we confess our sins, He, that's God, is faithful and just to forgive us our sins to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's the Lord who heals and continues to forgive the sins of his repentant people. And he commits to doing so. I will heal their backsliding, their unfaithfulness. And so as you go out into this week and into the months coming as we anticipate another Lord's Supper at the end of the year, and you find yourself sinning, turning away, being unfaithful. Recall the words of the Lord. I will heal their backsliding and turn back to Him and confess your sins and and repent and believe, knowing that your God cares for you. Because he loves you freely. Which is his second commitment that we want to look at. I will love them freely, he says. The Lord in his grace and his mercy, because of who he is, commits to choose out of the fallen human race, sinners, ugly, broken, undeserving sinners and to say to them, I will love you freely. He does this of his own free grace. He does this for people who are unlovable. He does this because he's found reasons within himself and he commits to loving his people freely forever. It's an undeserving love. For if we deserved it, it would not be a free love. It would be a compelled love. And despite who we are, despite how we might fail, despite the challenges that lie ahead, he promises, I will love you freely. He promises to love you freely for the sake of Jesus Christ the one who gave his life so that you might have life. I will love you freely because of who Jesus is, my beloved son. He has done it all. The Lord's gracious love that comes to his people, that flows to us in in abundance, is, is not a love that's going to allow you to just live the way you want to live. But it's going to be a love that's going to seek you out and seek to conform you and mold you into the image of Jesus Christ. So it's going to be a love, parents, like your own love to your children, or our love for our children ought to model Christ's love, where we come alongside our children and we nurture them, but we also discipline them, we correct them, teach them. Christ's love is a nurturing love. He comes and feeds us as he did this morning at the table. And he's going to continue to feed us through his word. It's a discipling love that comes and as it were walks alongside and molds us and shapes us and teaches us 
whether it's through the Word or other Christians that speak into our lives. It's a teaching love. As we listen to the Word week by week, or to sermons or podcasts that teach us who He is and who we are to be. It's a patient love. It deals with us tenderly. It's a correcting love. It's a disciplining love. At times, purging, dealing with our sins. So the Lord loves, freely loves His people. So they become more and more conformed into the image of Jesus Christ. And this gracious love that the Lord freely, freely bestows on His people, it results and is manifested in the third I will that the Lord comes to us with. I will be as the dew unto Israel. Children, I'm sure you know what dew is. If you walked outside this morning or Saturday morning or tomorrow morning and you were to go out without any shoes on, your socks and your feet would be soaking wet as you walked through the grass. Through the night, the dew collects and is... Con- uh, the moisture from the air condenses on the, the leaves of the trees and on the grass and the flowers, on the, on the vehicles that are outside in the in the parking lot, covered in water. And the Lord says, "I will be as the dew." Daily we see it appearing, one day after the next, nurturing. The plants, the animals, with moisture, replenishing the ground even. And the Lord says in our passage, I will be like the dew unto Israel. Now to understand the importance of this, we need to know a little bit about the climate of Israel. There will be a period of Several months from May, May to the end of September, October, where Israel receives almost no rain, zero rain in its average rainfall. And the plants during this time rely on the daily dew that comes every morning as the Lord, morning after morning, feeds the grasses and the flowers and the vegetation with dew. He says, I'm like the dew unto Israel. This is in contrast. Hosea has used this term dew two other times already. In Hosea chapter 6, verse 4, he says, O Ephraim, what shall I do unto thee? O Judah, what shall I do unto thee? For your goodness is as a morning cloud, and as an early dew, it goes away. And Hosea 13, 3 picks up on a similar theme, and it talks about a dew that's present, but it quickly evaporates, and it's not helpful to, to those that need it. And that's who we are by nature. We don't have anything to give. We often fail and are like the dew that just evaporates in our own strength. But the Lord promises that He is not like that. He is not like that sort of dew that just mysteriously goes away quickly. But it's a dew that comes and is evidently present. It is lasting and it brings incredible blessings. Throughout the scriptures, dew is often associated with the blessings of the Lord or the removal of his blessings. Isaac, as he's blessing Jacob, says 
Therefore, God, give thee of the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the plenty of corn and wine in Genesis 27. Or we can think of children, we can think of the Israelites as they're traveling through the wilderness. Morning by morning, the manna came. And what did the manna come on? It came on the dew. Numbers 11. And when the dew fell upon the camp in the night, the manna fell upon it. We also read of times where the dew is withheld as a form of judgment. Think of Ahab and his sins. And Elijah comes with a message of judgment that there would be no more dew or rain for three years. The Lord says, I'm going to be like the dew unto Israel. I'm going to be the one who will come and will bless my people. I will come daily, like the daily dew, with blessings and provisions so that the people of God can be sustained from one day to the next, one moment to the next moment. Not in your own strength, not in your own determination, but a dew that comes from the Lord. For as the Lord said to Job, who hath begotten the drops of the dew? And the answer is no one, not a man, but the Lord alone. Children, do you ever think about when the dew actually comes? Do we see it coming? It's not there, and then we notice its presence. It it seems to be imperceptible at times. And isn't that often the case with the Lord's blessings in our life? They are like the dew that just imperceptibly come and we notice them after the fact as they enter and they come into our lives. His mercies, Jeremiah says, are new every morning. Readily visible in terms of their effect and benefit. And so dear child of God, as you're going through, through the next weeks and months, Look to the Lord, who is the one who provides us with daily cares and provisions and blessings. Look to him for your strength and your help and your sustained energy and grace. For in him you can thrive even in the most challenging and discouraging and seemingly hopeless times. And we hope to look at how the Lord blesses his people with this do-like provision in our second thought. The Lord says, I will heal their backsliding. I will love them freely. For mine anger is turned away from him. And I will be as the dew unto Israel. And with this threefold commitment of the Lord to his restored people, the Lord then demonstrates how this is going to be realized in the lives of his people with tremendous blessings. Blessings that demonstrate growth, outward growth that's going to be visible to to the eyes. But there's also going to be downward growth becoming established and firm, rooted in the Lord that's going to be then evident with an attractive and and fruit-filled living. It's going to be growing. There's going to be establishing. There's going to be attractiveness and fruit. But it's only, only because of who the Lord is and His willingness to heal backsliding people, to love them freely and to be like due to them. In many ways, these, these four blessings are interconnected and cannot really be separated one from the other. They, as one is present, so will the other. But we want to look at them separately, one at a time. So in the first place, the Lord's do-like provisions will be evident in, in growth, 
in maturity in, in the people of God. And Hosea describes this in terms of, in terms of the flowers of the field, in terms of the trees, in terms of the vine. He's going to be drawing children, he's going to be drawing your attention to the plants that are around us as, as pictures to help us understand what's, what's going on. And so he begins by saying, I want you to think about the lily of the field, a wild flower. Here, not here one moment, present, popping out of the ground, maturing, in blossom, and then gone. The whole growing process has nothing to do with the lily, but it has everything to do with the Lord's gracious and tender care. Even in the provision of the dew for, for the lily, as the seed in the ground dies and new life springs forth and pops out of the ground, as it sprouts up, first the, first the stem and then you get some of the leaves and eventually the, the, it matures into the, the beautiful blossom. First the blade, then the, le- the leaves, then finally the flower. And it's the Lord who does this with his daily provisions, caring for just this simple flower, which is here to here today, gone tomorrow. And Hosea is drawing our attention to if the Lord does this for the field of the flower, and as Jesus draws our attention to in Matthew chapter six, are ye not much better than the flowers of the field? Will your heavenly Father not care for you? And dear child of the Lord, who began the work of salvation, of life in you? Who regenerated you, a dead sinner? It was the Lord. And it's the Lord who's going to continue to cause you to grow and to mature and to blossom and to bear fruit. It's the Lord who comes to us with His Word, His speech, and feeds us, nurtures us, first in a seed form, then the stem, then the branches, then the leaves and the flowers, and the fruit. And he does this so that he gets all the glory and the honor. We contribute nothing. The lily contributed nothing to its physical growth and beauty. And we contribute nothing to our growth. Our growth, our fruitfulness, our maturity comes from the Lord alone and from his daily provisions that he sustains us with. Yet this doesn't mean we become fatalistic and whatever happens in our life happens. No. We too are called, like Israel, to go out daily and to gather the manna. The manna came from the Lord, but we are called to to be active in our study of the Word, digging in, reading it, using the means of grace to have our souls fed by the Spirit of God. In verse 7, Hosea switches from the metaphor of dew and being nurtured by the, the daily water that comes to us to, to a, a picture of, of the cloud that provides shadow and protection. Again, it draws our attention to the wilderness travels. The Lord's people were under that cloudy pillar as they went through the wilderness, being sheltered from the burning heat of the sun, being revived in the shade, enlivened, refreshed, as as Hosea draws our attention to in verse 7. They that dwell under his shadow shall return. They shall revive as the corn and grow as the vine. The Lord does everything for us. 
He provides us with the nourishment we need and the water, but He provides us with the shade that we need from the burning heat of the enemies that come upon us, the the challenges of life. He revives us with His presence. And He causes us to grow like, like the vine that shoots forth its branches as we are connected to the true vine. But not only do we see outward growth, we also see a, 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 the people of God becoming established, becoming stable in the Lord their God. We read this in verse 6. I will be as the dew unto Israel, and he shall cast forth his roots as Lebanon. And we need to understand the picture here. Lebanon here refers to the, the trees of Lebanon, cedar, the, the massive, beautiful cedars and the fir trees of Lebanon. Tremendously tall, glorious. But what allowed these tall trees to, to be so robust and not be just knocked down with every wind that came their way? It's because their roots were cast down, were, went deep into the earth. The dew wasn't just enough for them. They needed water, plentiful water, and so their roots were cast down. The idea is like the roots striking down into the ground in search for, for water. And so Israel was to have her roots extended, thrust down into the earth, rooting themselves in the Lord their God. They say that trees, what you see on the outside, in the visible, the crown of the tree, the root system is as big underground. And when it's dry, as it is in Israel and Lebanon, the roots go deep, deep into the ground and search for water. And the Lord wants his people to be like those trees of Lebanon, with their roots going down into the ground, into his word, being grounded and rooted in him, the living word. And it's when we're rooted in him, grounded in him deeply, that we can stand the tests of the, the challenges of life. He establishes us. He wants us to grow in him. And he says, I want you to cast, as it were, your roots deep into the word of God, into me. And be equipped so that you can stand, as, as Paul talks about in Ephesians 6, so you can stand the, the wiles of the devil as they come to you. Equipped with his word and, and the armor that Christ gives to his church. So we see the people of God are going to grow. They're going to grow under the Lord's daily provisions in, in outward manifestations of growth. But there's also going to be growth that's going to go deep and down into the ground, rooted, causing them to be stable and established in his word. And both of these together will cause the people of God, Hosea says, to be, to be beautiful to be attractive. Their lives are going to be winsome to a watching world. And Hosea describes this in, in several different metaphors. He says in verse 6, his beauty shall be as the olive tree. And then and again, his smell as Lebanon or as the cedars of Lebanon. In verse 7, the scent thereof shall be as the wine of Lebanon. The point is clear. These trees, the olive tree and the cedar trees, were stately trees. The olive tree was known for its beauty, its long life, long-lasting life, as many of them can last up to thousands of years. Luxuriant foliage, valued for their oil. When you see them, they're, they're noticeable and they're beautiful. 
And the cedar too, stately, tall, majestic trees. But Hosea draws us not only to their majestic grandeur, but to their smell. You can't miss it when you're in the midst of it. And so it is with the people of God. When you're in their midst, there will be a sweet aroma of Christ's likeness. A notable sense that this one has been with Jesus. Such people will be remembered like vintage wines whose taste is distinct and good, something to be sought after. And the Apostle Paul speaks of this aroma in Ephesians 5, verses 1 and 2. Listen to what Paul writes. Be therefore followers of God as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself as a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling savor. Christ's suffering and death at the cross was anything but sweet and a sweet-smelling savor. There was a stench of blood. There was, there was death that permeated the air. And yet, in God's sight, Christ's death, His spilling His blood, His shedding His blood, was a sweet-smelling savor unto the Lord. And Paul calls us as the people of God to walk as he walked, to be followers of Christ. And let our lives be a sweet melting savor, as it were, in thankful living back to the Lord, which is our reasonable service. Is your life a, a sweet aroma of a living sacrifice? Can those around you say, this one has been with Jesus? It can be. When we are living in and through the do-like provisions that the Lord bestows upon us daily. And the fourth characteristic of the Lord's daily provisions will be will be uh, resulting in in an expanding and a growing fruitfulness in our lives. We see this in several, two different places in our passage. Um, It talks about, in verse 6, the believer is described to be like a tree whose branches are spreading. It's in the branches of the tree that the tree produces its fruit. You don't see fruit on the stem or on the roots or on the leaves but in the branches. And Hosea describes it as an ever-spreading branches. There's more and more place for fruit to be found. Jesus describes it in terms of this faith as a seed of a mustard mustard seed. How it grows. It starts out small and it grows into a a tree-like size who not only bearing fruit in terms of the mustard seed, but being a place where the birds can shelter in and find rest. This ever-growing fruitfulness is also seen in verse 8, where we, we read that the Lord says, I am like a green fir tree, and from me is thy fruit found. Fruit will be found in the lives of the people of God. There will be evidences of fruit throughout and in the lives of the people of God. When when we are in Christ, when we are living out of His deep stores of, of treasures, of wells that overflow with goodness, there will be an ever growing fruitfulness in the lives of the people of God. Maybe you won't notice it yourself. And often we are the last to notice it in ourselves. We see it in others. We see the ongoing fruits of the, the fruits of the Spirit being manifested in our lives or in the lives of others. We see fruits of Christ-likeness. Fruits of, 
of growth and depth in the Word and love for the Word and understanding of the Word and desire to be in the Word. Fruits of putting off sin and putting on the Lord Jesus Christ. Fruits of unity and love for the people of God. Fruits of hospitality, generosity, giving of oneself. Fruits of bearing one another's burdens and soul-fulfilling the law of Christ. Fruits that flow from Christ and are found in Christ, the one who is comes to us and calls us to be like him. So are you, am I, bearing fruit? If, you're, if you say no, my question is, why not? Could it be because you're not connected to the vine? You don't know the Lord Jesus Christ? And if you are, friend, is the quality and the quantity of the fruit growing? John tells us in John 15 that the husbandman, the farmer, will prune his vineyard so that his vine, his branches, bear more fruit. There will be seasons of pruning in our lives, cutting away that which hinders growth, that hinders Christ-likeness so that we become more like Christ, so that we bear more fruit, so that we bring further and greater glory to the Lord our God. Maybe, maybe you find yourself right now in a, in a time of pruning in your lives. You wonder what the Lord is doing with you. Maybe he's cutting away the sin of pride, the lust of the flesh, the pride of life. Maybe, maybe he's, he's cutting away things that hinder stability and growth and attractive living and fruitful living in your life. Because he wants you to grow. He wants you to be further established. He wants you to be attractive Christians living in a world that hates him. He wants you to be fruit-bearing. Are we growing? Are we growing as individuals? Are we growing as a church community? Are we being established in our walk with the Lord so that we too can wither the, the storms that are coming our way? Are we living attractive, fruit-filled lives on account of his gracious and continued daily provisions? Can you say with Ephraim, as we read in verse 8, what have I to do anymore with idols? Have you found that it is in the Lord alone that there is mercy to be found? Have you experienced his healing hand? Have you experienced his free love that he bestows richly and abundantly? Have you understood and seen how the Lord cares with do-like provisions? Are you bearing fruit? Are you living in the presence, the daily presence of the Lord's do-like provisions? Resting in Him, as we heard this morning. Being fed by Him moment by moment as the restored people of God. Or are you still trying to find help and hope in yourself? Amen.
Lord, we are so thankful that thy mercy and grace comes freely to a people who are so undeserving. And Lord, we do pray that as we head out into this week, into the months that lie ahead, we're thankful that thy adored a God who will heal our backsliding, our turning away, our unfaithfulness, that thou art a God who loves freely thy people, and that thou art a God who will be like the dew unto Israel. Lord, we need thee. We cannot do without thee. For we will fail, we will flounder, we will make a mess of things in our lives. But with thy do-like provisions, we can grow, we can become established, we can live attractive, fruit-filled lives. And so do help your dear people to do that in our lives, that we would be lights in this dark world, in a world that is by nature opposed to thee, attracting and being a witness, Lord, to those who don't know thee, whether that's in our families or in our neighborhoods, in our workplaces, in our schools, wherever we find ourselves. May we be a light unto the world, being a sweet aroma of what it is to follow Jesus Christ. We pray this all in Christ's name. Amen.